Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host and it's the quarterly earnings results for Tesla. Third quarter, uh, I love doing these earnings calls. Um, Some of the funnest podcasts that I get to do. Um, This one was a little different. Uh, It wasn't, there was no crazy Elon and uh, there wasn't a lot of good information shared, to be honest with you. There's a lot of information in there. Um, there wasn't any bombshells, I should say. And um, so I was going through yesterday, and I cut up a bunch of clips to show to you. But it was very difficult to put the clips into context because it was kind of all over the place. And there were some questions that may have referred back to earlier in the conference call. And I just like trying to put that all together ended up just being a nightmare. I have some 30 some clips from the earnings call and I didn't even finish. I only made it maybe 45 minutes into an hour and six minute conference call. And I was like, this is going to be a nightmare trying to uh, put this all into the show and give it context that actually makes sense. So this morning I took another crack at it and at 9am it's now 949 at 9 a.m., I was like, you know what? We're just going to do the whole conference call together, and uh, we'll just interject and talk as um, as uh, as it goes. Because I think that there is good information in there. There's a lot of information that maybe isn't so interesting, but there is good information in there that is worth looking at. So um, I thought this would be a better way to do it that gives the show a little bit more cohesion versus it would just be a manic mess otherwise. So I think this is the best thing to do for the show. Having said that, uh, we're not going to do any other news this week, um, although the uh, Model 3 that we talked about last week that was $45,000, the mid-range, is now $46,000 for some reason. Um, right after, or the night that I recorded this show, I looked at uh, the night so I recorded it in the morning last week. I was going to bed, and I noticed that The Verge had a very similar article as to what the, we did, talked about last week as far as Lucid Air and the Saudis 
um, just in general, um, they had, I mean, they're way better reporters than I am. So they had some really good points. I'll talk about that next week. I was going to talk about it this week, but this show will be way too long if I talk about it this week. And then what's the other thing? Huh? I want to thank all the Patreon supporters for sure. Uh, really appreciate you guys and uh hopefully everybody got a chance to listen to the the patreon only episode that i did last week more to come if you want to become a patreon supporter go to uh, patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and all the money that you guys uh give goes back to the show none of it goes back to me it goes back to the show to make it better so let's see here yeah, I guess let's do things that I like. Um, I don't have my normal notes in front of me, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, this week, so there's this show. It's done kind of in an anime fashion, which I am not a fan of anime at all. I love cartoons because I'm a 43-year-old child. But um, for a reason, anime doesn't do anything for me. But I will say that um, last year Netflix had a show called uh, Castlevania based off the video game. And I really loved it because Castlevania, when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite games. Really loved the show. Season two is out today. I watched, uh, today was a light cardio day at the gym. So I brought my iPad. I watched the first episode. It was really good. Um, very well done. Super entertaining. Very um, engaging. You just kind of want to sit and binge watch this show. It's really good. So if you get a chance, Castlevania on Netflix, there's two seasons. I highly suggest t- t- checking it out. So Tesla's Q3 2018 results. Um, so we're going to talk first. They made a profit. That's the big thing. They made a $311 million profit, which is really good. Um, I think $6.8 billion in revenue and a $311 million profit. They delivered uh, around 83,500 cars. Now, if you go back to um to what tesla's definition of a delivery is a delivery is only counted when all the paperwork's done and complete and filed and the driver file drives away with their vehicle that is that is when a delivery is counted so if uh they have 30 cars on the lot um waiting to be delivered that's not a delivery it only when everything's completed and then the driver can drive away or the owner can drive away in their new vehicle so, 83,500 deliveries right around there. 56,065 of those were Model 3s, and the Model S and Model X, they made up the remainder, 27,435 or so. There were more Model Ss sold by Model and than Model Xs by about 1,000, um, but pretty much, you know, pretty close to 50-50. Um, 13 to 14,000 there for the respectively so that kind of gets you up to date on how everything was delivered. I have to say, I'm per, I'm very impressed that they were able to deliver uh, a total of 56,000 Model 3s. Because I thought that number would be in the 30,000s, maybe up, like in the early, low 30s, maybe up to the high 30s. I didn't think it was going to be 56,000. So that's great. That's, a, that's very encouraging. Um, if you were sitting on... Um, 
you know, in line waiting for your reservation for your $35,000 Model 3. Maybe that doesn't sound so good to you, but in general, I think that's a nice progress. And next quarter should be significantly more than that. So that's great. Um, so uh, let's start the conference call. The first thing is I, I edited out all the good morning, ladies and gentlemen all that stuff and the forward looking statement stuff. So if you want to listen to all that stuff, go ahead. Um, but they, they put a qualifier in there that all of these things are forward looking statements and it could change. And, uh, now we're going to start with Elon's, uh, what is it? Uh, opening remarks. And he, there is a lot he brings up. And I think this is awesome that he's doing this and they should, um, not only does Elon give his opening remarks, it's very long, it's about 20-some minutes, um, but people in each uh, division in terms of auto safety, in terms of factory safety, autopilot, um, like uh, Leo Apothecary talks about uh, the autopilot and all how that whole thing's going, it's it's pretty long, but it's it's chopped full of information. The the questions from the analyst I didn't think were all that fantastic, but this part is really good. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, not that the question there were nuggets in the questions from the analysts, but it's like in the past there's been a lot of like fun bombshells or outbursts or whatever to to talk about. And really this one there wasn't a lot of any of that stuff. So let's start, shall we? You uh, on? Thanks, Martin. Uh, so I'll make some opening remarks, and then we're going to talk about uh, vehicle safety, um, uh, autopilot, and factory safety. And we have a number of people from Tesla here to uh, elaborate on that. So I think there's just a lot going on that uh, we would find interesting. But I want to start by thanking all of our customers, employees, and shareholders. Uh, this was an incredibly historic quarter for Tesla. Model 3 production stabilized. We're, we delivered a total of uh, 84,000 vehicles globally which is more than 80% of vehicles that we delivered in all of 2017. In fact, we delivered more cars in this quarter than we did in all of 2016 in a single quarter. Uh, Model 3 became the best-selling car in the U.S. in terms of revenue and the fifth best-selling car in terms of volume. We saw higher revenues and significantly better profitability in our uh, energy business. Um, in fact, I think for solar, it may have been the best quarter ever for solar. We achieved GAAP net income of over $300 million, uh, increased cash and equivalents by $731 million and achieved a greater than 20% gross margin uh, for Model 3. And um, moreover, we expect to again have a positive net income and cash flow in Q4. And uh, I believe our aspiration certainly will be for all quarters going forward. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we, we can actually be positive cash flow uh, and, and profitable for all quarters going forward. Leaving aside quarters where we may uh, need to do a, a significant repayment, um, but I, I, for example, in, in, in Q1 next year. But I, I think even even in Q1, I, I think we can be approximately flat in, in cash flow uh, by end of quarter. Um, so Tesla has quite a bit of debt. I don't know exactly how much it is, but I know that they've had to go um, and get quite a few loans for you know, Giga and uh, Fremont expansions, and they're getting these loans for the uh, Chinese Gigafactory, the Gigafactory in China. So 
um, that's that's a that's a positive. The quicker they can get that debt paid off, the the better it is for the company for sure. But it was made possible by the incredible execution of our uh, employees uh, across the board, from sales, production, delivery, service, energy, engineering, finance, and all of our GNA teams. Really, every part of the business executed incredibly well. I want to thank everyone again for incredibly hard work. Um, I, I especially want to thank uh, customers who uh, helped. It's like I've never even heard of this. Maybe this has happened before, but I've, I've never heard of a, a case where a company's customers actually cared about the, the future of the company so much that they volunteered their time to help the co- help the company succeed. Um, I think that's that's amazing. I just don't, don't see that um, anywhere. So, um, yeah, it really makes it chokes me up, actually. This, this quarter, we started rolling, up, rolling out version 9 of our software, which is our biggest software operating. Before he talks about that, I didn't talk about this uh, Tesla fans or owners helping out at the delivery centers because it was so overcovered. But uh, it is a pretty amazing thing. And I think everybody that went out there to do that should be committed. And hopefully Tesla uh, gives them, you know, kind of something special. It doesn't have to be big, but something nice to show their appreciation for going out and volunteering and helping get new Tesla owners acclimated to their vehicles. Yours and Model 3 received a, a five-star safety rating in every category and subcategory. Um, I got the lowest probability of injury of any car that the U.S. government has ever tested. Looking ahead, we expect to produce and sell even more Model 3s in Q4, uh, and uh, expect that trend to continue into into Q1. Um, and we're excited to bring Model 3 to Europe and China early next year, given that the market for mid-sized premium sedans in those regions is even larger than in North America. Um, I've said before that we must prove that Tesla can be sustainably profitable. But this quarter was an important step towards that, and I'm incredibly excited about what lies ahead. So this is, uh, yeah, just um, so, so proud of the, of the Tesla team, our customers. Uh, really appreciate the support of our long-term shareholders. Um, and, um, yeah, I just want to say on behalf, on behalf of the Tesla team, we're just super appreciative of, of, of your support through what has obviously been a, a very difficult time. All right, now let's move to let's start off with uh, vehicle safety. Uh, Madan, who's kind of a, a lead vehicle safety engineer, um, been, been with the company for a long time. What, and how many years has it been that we've been working together? Ten years. Ten years. <laughs> wow. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been working with Madan for ten years. Uh, we've had so many conversations on vehicle safety. Um, wow. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know what, the, you know, with, we really go try to, to go, go the extra extra mile with, with vehicle safety, um, you know, not, not just, like there's a series of government mandated tests, but, um, you know, what, what some companies do is they, they game the system. So they, they know where the, the side pole impact is going to be. They strengthen it right in that position. It tells us, we're like, okay, what is the weakest point in the car? Let us test it at that position. So it's, the actual safety is not fully captured in, in, the, in the tests because we anti-game the system. Thank you, Ila. Just want to give you a very quick background about myself. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, joined Tesla 10 years. I'm extremely very happy to mention I'm working with an extraordinary set of uh, very passionate, 
and uh, very hard-working individuals, and that essentially shows in our product. Mm -hmm. So that's very important for us, and also important is our principal mission statement on safety, because what we want to do is uh, safety has been is probably the important factor for our vehicle. It's not just for electric vehicle, any vehicle period. Yeah. And that fundamentally differentiates us, so which essentially helps us to keep adding new features and new safety uh, technology. And that's very important, and that shows in Model 3, mm -hmm. latest to things that we have. Uh, also, the fact that we have an electric vehicle, the design and architecture gives us a fundamental benefit over traditional vehicles. Mm -hmm. And that takes care of, for example, whether you have a, a block of engine in the front, where we can we can work with using a pretty much open architecture in the front, and the whole fact that you have all the uh, electrical and high voltage and uh, uh, motors and all of that almost below the center of gravity of the vehicle, right. you say lowest probability of reduced rollover risk. Yeah, and that like significantly benefits. <laughs> I think architecturally we have Newton on our side, Correct. and having Isaac right. Newton on your side is definitely the way to go. Okay. Exactly. So in the latest series of tests, I would like to specifically talk about Model 3. Uh, NHTSA did a series of tests, actually four tests, for one frontal, two side, and one rollover test. And if you look at, we have been calculating how can we distinguish within the five star. There are so many vehicles that already get five star. Yeah. And if you look at within the five star, there's there all the same. Yeah, all the same. Exactly. So if you look at there, there is a matrix we came out with, which is a part of US NCAP rating itself as the lowest probability of injury. And model three has the lowest. And just to give you a context, there are a total of 900 plus vehicles since 2011, which have been rated. So the fact that model three is the best among all the 943 to be exact. Right. So that speaks the volume, and I'm very happy to say that uh, Model 3 has achieved. In, we are not stopping right now. Yeah. What we would like to do is next is how we can make use of the active safety and autopilot features mm -hmm. and make it even more improvement. So the next area that we're focusing on, how to integrate active and passive safety, mm -hmm. that's our next area of challenge, which we will improve for sure. Yeah, it's, it's worth noting that the, the safety extends to uh, not just people in the car, but also pedestrians. Correct. Yeah, Correct. so uh, <clears throat> uh, not having a big engine block in the, in the, in the front of the car is, is really helpful so because if you if, if the car were to hit a pedestrian, um, we'll get to active safety next because the, the best thing is not obviously not to, to hit a car or pedestrian. Um, the, the fact that um, the, the, the hood can, can dance so far in is, is really helpful because um, it, it ends up being um, like sort of like it have a sort of like a like a like a, uh, like a trampoline or like a it has it you just not, you don't you don't have a rock underneath it it's very helpful um, so it's it's helpful for pedestrian safety and for uh, the safety of people in the car um, and and then uh, even if you have like a head-on collision with another car the the extended sort of crumple zone of the of the of a Tesla <coughs> Model SX or three is helpful to to the people in the Tesla and the people in the other car so it's not just you know, uh, the people in the car. I'd like to add one item, uh, which is essentially how we look at the real-world safety, which has always been an important element for Elon. So if you look at the our blog post, we showed how we handle the center pole impact in the front row. By the way, that's not part of NCAP rating. Mm -hmm. This is just to show how we go over and above the NCAP rating to make sure it's real-world safety. Yes. That's very important for us. Exactly. That's what I mean by 
react like anti-gamma system. Like, so what is the what is the worst way that, that the car could be hit? Not just sort of strengthen where we know the test will happen and that kind of thing. Um, so um, obviously we're, we're all in these cars. Our friends are in these cars. Families in the cars. So we, we care a great deal about safety. And a lot of people think safety is boring, but not a Tesla. So thanks, man. It's, uh, thank, you. thank you for your, your decade of, of hard work and the, the rest of the Tesla safety team. Um, and um, you know, with that, let's let's uh, move on to the autopilot. Um, okay, so before we move on to autopilot, there's a couple of things I want to talk about on the safety front. First of all, safety is very important to everybody buying a car. Nobody's going to go and buy a car where they think it's going to be a death trap. Or if you can help it, um, you're not going to go into buy a car that's going to be a death trap. There are circumstances when you're kind of up against uh, a, a a budget that you can't afford, but you still need to get to work and back. But with that, with given people's uh, choices, I'm sure they would like to be as safe as humanly possible. There might be one nutball out there that uh, decides that that's not the case for them, but in general, that's what you want. And in fact, when you go to a car dealership and you walk up there, and the first thing the car uh, salesperson is going to tell you is the safety rate in the car. And if they don't, you the safety rating in the car the car's probably got a terrible safety rating um that's how they suck you in that that safety rating that feeling of i want to be safe everybody wants to be safe there's so many things that are happening in this world uh, on a political level uh and so many uh so much faith that people are putting behind certain uh uh politicians on both sides because they want to feel safe whether that's you know gun control or or border control or whatever it doesn't matter the safety is utmost importance for us we want to feel safe and we if we don't feel safe we don't feel comfortable so that's that's the first thing so i like that tesla's anti-gaming the system that is fantastic i like that tesla's protecting the people inside of the car but also they have they have considerations for people outside of the car um However, I will take, I don't think using uh, the saying that the front hood is a trampoline um, is is great. Because if you get hit by a car, uh, whether it has a frunk or an ice engine in the front, you're probably not thinking that it's a trampoline. You're probably thinking you just got hit by a car. And uh, yeah, so moving on to the autopilot portion of our show. And... um you guys could just give an update on, on sort of uh, autopilot software, AI, and, and hardware. Yeah. That's great. This is Stuart Bowers. Um, we'll soon begin to roll out the team's most advanced autopilot feature ever, Navigate on Autopilot. In our last release, we launched a new set of neural networks that combined together provide a view of everything happening around the car. With Navigate on Autopilot, we'll use information to understand exactly where the car is on the highway system and to automatically change lanes, handle forks, and take high curvature exits to follow a nav route. Initially, it will require drivers to confirm lane changes using the turn signal before the car moves into an adjacent lane. Future versions will allow customers to waive the confirmation requirement if they choose to. One area that I'm personally really excited to build on with this improvement is active safety. With the advancement in neural networks covering 360 degrees of view around our car, we can provide a level of constant vigilance that humans just can't. Ultimately, this should allow us to warn and even intervene for an enormous percentage of modern accidents and to ship these improvements as software upgrades to our existing customers. Uh, we have a lot of, we see this all the time in the, in the 
<coughs> in the data where the car will do an um, automatic braking event uh, and save uh, a, a pedestrian or a, uh, you know another car from impact. This happens all the time. All the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, every day, especially every day. It's like pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah, the team's done incredible work here, and by bringing up more of the cameras around the car, we can detect things as they come toward us, not just directly in front of us. Yeah. Oh, hi, this is Pete Bannon. Um, the Hardware 3 design is continuing to move along. Um, over the last quarter, we've completed a qualification of the silicon, qualification of the board. Uh, we started um, the manufacturing line and qualification of the manufacturing line. We've been validating the uh, provisioning flows in the factory. Uh, we've built test versions of Model S, X, and 3 in the factory. Uh, to validate all the fit and finish of the parts and all the provisioning flows. So uh, we still have a lot of work to do, and the team's uh, doing a great job, and we're still on track to uh, have it ready to go by the end of Q1. Great. And, and th th that'll be um, an, um, on the roughly a 1,000% increase in, in um, processing capability compared to the current hardware. Um, and uh, so it's obviously a, a giant improvement, despite being about the, it, it costs about the same, uh, cost, cost volume and, and power consumption are approximately the same as the current hardware, but is it a, a tenfold improvement in uh, frames per second? That's right. Um, yeah. Um, and, and improved redundancy as well. Um, but very importantly, very important to emphasize is that uh, the, the only thing that, that needs to change between a car that's produced today and a car that's produced in the second quarter of next year um, is swapping out the, the autopilot computer. Right. Um, and um, this is a simple uh, change that takes less than half an hour in, in service to upgrade the computer. Um, and so anyone will be able to upgrade their computer to full self-driving capability, or upgrade, the, upgrade their car to full self-driving capability um, uh, with, with a simple service visit. So we, we expect um, all cars with the, um, a, with the Hardware 2 sensor suite, basically anything made in the last roughly two years, um, will be upgradable to full self-driving. Yep. In yeah. fact, a lot of the cars we're using for testing today are, have, in fact, been upgraded from hardware two. Right. So it's, it's very important to emphasize that like, people shouldn't, it's like concerned that people would want to wait until that comes out, but there's, there's no need to wait until that comes out uh, because it's just a very simple plug-and-play uh, change uh, to get to full self-driving. Um, and um, anyone who's paid for the full self-driving option will just get it done for free. Um, and anyone who, who still wants the, to, to order full self-driving at this point, it's just an off-menu item. You can still order it, um, but the we we, um, uh, we we took it off the order menu just because there were, it was really creating a lot of friction in, in the in the sales process, um, and people didn't understand the difference between enhanced self, uh, autopilot and full self-driving. So just to simplify the uh, the order process, we, we took that off, but anyone who, who asks for it can, can certainly uh, get it, and, and it really ends up being uh, a discount on on future capability. Um, but um, but to be clear, there's definitely no need to wait until Q2 to uh, order a car. Uh, it, it, it's, we want to make it just a completely seamless process, uh, so there's, there's no advantage to ordering now versus Q2. Uh, Andre, do you want to... Yes, yeah, so, uh, Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Andre Karpathy. I'm the director of AI here at Tesla. And my team trains all of the neural networks that analyze the images uh, streaming in from all of the cameras for the autopilot. 
Uh, for example, these neural networks identify cars, uh, lane lines, traffic signs, and so on. Uh, the team is incredibly excited about the upcoming upgrade for the autopilot computer, which Pete briefly talked about. Uh, this upgrade allows us to not just uh, run the current neural networks faster, but more importantly, it will allow us to deploy much larger, computationally more expensive networks to the fleet. Uh, the reason this is important is that it is a common finding in the industry, and uh, we see this as well, is that as you make the networks bigger by adding more neurons, the accuracy of all their predictions increases with the added capacity. So in other words, we are currently at a place where we've trained large neural networks that work very well, but we are not able to deploy them uh, to the fleet due to computational constraints. So all of this will change with the next iteration of the hardware, and it's a massive step improvement in the compute capability, and the team is incredibly excited to get these networks out there. Great, thank you. Um, and I, I, should, I, th I said this before, but I, th I think um, just talking about, a bit about the kind of longer-term future, um, we absolutely see the future as kind of uh, as sort of a shared electric autonomy, um, so that uh, you'll be able to do, do ride-hailing or share your car in any way. Um, you know, sort of uh, long-term model that's probably some combination of like. Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb. In other words, there'll be Tesla-dedicated cars for ride-hailing, um, and there'll be uh, and any customer will be able to share their car at will, just like you'd share your house on an Airbnb. So it's a combination of those two models. Uh, I think is, is is pretty obviously where things are headed long term. The the advantage that Tesla will have is that we'll have millions of cars in the field with full autonomy capability, and no one else will have that. Um, so I think that that puts us that will end up putting us in the strongest competitive position long term. Um, and then, uh, uh, Laurie, can you finish off with, let's talk about factory safety, and uh, thank you. Okay, so before we talk about factory safety, let's move on, let's go back to autopilot. As I said before, safety, 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 um, it's, a, it's a big selling point. Um, and with improving autopilot and active safety, that's going to make that um, just that much better, just the constant vigilance of this car. Um, always looking out for your best interests. And it would be nice, like uh, in the Phoenix area, when you're driving, there's a, and I'm sure in LA and a bunch of other congested cities, there's a lot of cars all the way around you. And there are people who love to hang out in your blind spot. I don't quite understand how this works or what's going on in their brain. Because they just love to sit in your blind spot. On one of my cars, it'll alert you if somebody's in your blind spot before you um, try to merge into another lane. On my other car, it doesn't. And it is so much nicer when I alert you that somebody's actually there. Um, if you can't see them just because they're hiding behind the sea post or something like that. Um, hardware 3 um, is on its way the end of Q1 next year. Um, I think this is going to it's free to people who've already bought autopilot and I think that's great and they absolutely should do that. It's a giant improvement in performance. Um, but is it really uh, capable of full self-driving? Is it going to get us there? Cause that's what we thought with hardware two, and it didn't end up getting us there. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to throw shade or, or be, um, contrary, but on the other side, like we, we were, everybody was fairly certain that this was going to work for hardware too. Um, and we'd be full self-driving and it, and it did just didn't. Now any improvement is in, is a good improvement because it's going to add more features to the car and increase safety. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to sound like I'm poo pooing it too much, but on the other side, um, I'll believe it when I see it and I hope that I see it to be honest with you. 
And then uh, the car sharing uh, aspect of this. For me, uh, I don't want to spend $45,000 on a car. Um, my wife and I could probably swing it, but it would not be fun to make those payments, if I'm being honest with you. Um, it just isn't like... We don't, I mean, I love cars. I love my cars. We have nice cars and I'm very happy with them, but you can have nice cars that cost less than $45,000. Very nice cars, by the way, that cost less than that. Um, so, uh, if I could, I could justify buying a car in that price range. If while I'm at work, I'm at work for 48 hours at a time. If I'm at work, I park the car in the, um, just kind of regular parking area for the public and my car is just leaving and going and, and working and paying part of that uh, uh, payment, I'm fine with that. That works for me. Like uh, uh, the problem with Turo, T-U-R-O, the car sharing service, is that if you're tr trying to uh, loan out your car, A, you have to not have access to your car for as long as uh, they're doing that. And B, um, the... Um, you have to drive to wherever they are in most cases or drive to a meeting location and then pick it up when the ride's over. Not that that's a huge inconvenience, but it's kind of an inconvenience. So um, I'm all over this car sharing thing. I think that would be a great way to um, justify paying the price for these vehicles, especially when we know that Tesla's in general with Tesla Loop uh, putting so many miles on their vehicles especially when we know that they're they're going to last and it's not going to be 100,000 miles ish and then the car starts breaking down it's going to it's going to be pretty steady for several hundred thousand miles not to say there's not problems you always got to fix something but um right around 100,000 miles in my experience just cars just start having problems and it makes sense they're moving there are moving parts in there that that are going to have problems all right so let's talk about factory safety um, this is a, a fairly, well, not a fairly, this is a very good report on factory safety, and I like hearing that this is a, a focus for them. Hard work of you, you and your team, um, we've, I think we've made great strides, and um, yeah, please, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we have the safest cars made by the safest people. Yeah. So um, it's an exciting time here at, at Tesla. Um, all car and manufacturing factories have injuries. Um, at Tesla, we have a commitment to zero injuries, and our target is actually on good reporting. So we have good reporting of injuries, good reporting of near misses, good observations, and lots of improvements. So to be the safest company in the world, we're, we have to be committed to that, and everybody here is. So we're um, actually steadily getting there, and we're not going to stop till we're there. Absolutely. Yeah, so it, when, yeah, so you may mentioning like for example like we have had like some you know uh sort of for, for example like we do get these like quite unfair uh you know accusations for example one of them was like that we were underreporting injuries right. and it's worth noting that uh osha completed their investigation and concluded that we had not been doing anything of the sort correct so, correct yeah. the uh, factory here had a four month long uh, cal osha investigation and uh it basically proves that we are recording properly and doing as we as we should be. So it's much different than what you would read about in the press. Yeah, that is true. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of the team for that. It's uh, yeah. One point I think people don't know is I've been here about a year now. Um, time flies when you're having so much fun. It's like five um, years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But uh, when I joined, uh, we were already really a fraction. Our injury rate was a fraction of what it had been when Toyota and uh, GM ran the factory in the Numi days. So um, what we're all about is really continuing to make improvements from there. And, um, you know, what's also important is not to have serious injuries. And, and that's extremely rare here at Tesla. We have really strong focus on prevention and also using mitigating controls so that these types of injuries don't occur. I mean, most of the injuries that we, we have are muscular sprains and things like that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's essentially it's, it's, uh, muscle strain and, and, and getting scratched. Exactly. That's, that's most yeah. injuries, yeah. Hand and finger cuts yeah. and yeah. sprains. Yep. So I kind of just want to break down a few things that, you know, my team has been working on along with all the leaders here. Uh, you know, first it's people and engagement. Um, so one of the first things is, you know, meeting with you, Elon. Yeah. We meet with you on a regular basis. We meet with all the production leaders. So it's full-on engagement on uh, improving safety. We have built a really strong EHS team, the best and the brightest. Uh, we have, and our EHS team is actually embedded into the line on the factory because we learn the process and we learn the people. You don't know how to improve unless you're out there on the line, on the process, engaging with the associates, listening and learning from our associates. So we have really strong engagement, health and safety committees. We do find it, fix it walks. Our, walker, our leaders are out there walking and also looking for improvements. And actually just this quarter, we had over 15,000 improvements. I mean, that's like amazing. So very, very exciting about that. Uh, we also look at risk reduction and in human performance. You know, people are gonna make mistakes, so we're gonna design in so we fail safely. Uh, we have uh, an early symptom intervention program. This is where we have industrial athletes go out on the line and work with our associates before anything happens. Like if you have a pain, you know, let's let's work it out. Let's strengthen and um, really get get our employees fit. So we're doing that. We've also just opened a new and improved health clinic. So when injuries do occur, we get the absolute best care mm -hmm. for for our associates. And it's actually overseen by one of California's leading orthopedic surgeons. And we did that because most of our injuries, like we said, like 80, 85 percent, are those sprains and strains. So now they get that best care here on site. And we have 24-7 care. It's actually staffed by three full-time doctors and nurses. And I'm really super happy with the care they're giving, and um, I think the employees are as well. And the yeah. third... We're going to expand on that. Um, yes. So, the, yeah, the Tesla sort of health, health clinic, um, both at, at Fremont and, and at Giga, uh, so that we have a really immediate... Uh, First-class uh, healthcare available, right, you know, right on the spot when when people need it. And this is not just for workplace. This is for workplace and non-workplace. I know that's super exciting. Yeah, if We're basically, if anything goes, if, if you become injured or ill for any reason, then there's healthcare immediately on site. That's where we plan to give exactly. And then finally, just being proactive, because that's what that's what we're about: innovation and proactive. I mean, we've joined uh, national safety organizations. We partner with uh, with many leading universities, including California Berkeley, 
uh, Center for Occupational and Environmental Health. We do presentations there. We work with the automotive industry and do benchmarking all the time. We're always looking and bringing people in to look for things that we can do better and for new technology and innovations and safety. So, And with all of that, um, you know, we have made improvements in our injury rate. We are more than 10% better year over year in our lost, in lost work days and our days away. But uh, the most important thing is we're also getting all those good engagement observations. They're moving up. So injuries down, observations, engagement up. All right, awesome. Thanks Thank for that. you. Thanks, Lori. Um, and we'll provide um, regular updates on um, workplace safety. Um, and uh, yeah, our, our goal is unequivocally to have the safest uh, factories in the world where people look forward to coming to work in the morning. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's our goal. All right. Um, okay. So uh, I think all of those things are great that they talked about. 15,000 improvements. I'm sure some of those were small, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of improvements. So there are some things that definitely needed to be fixed. Uh, the biggest thing I think that you could take from this is the on-site health care and how much effort they're putting into keeping their employees healthy with the um, industrial athletes. That's a title of a thing, um, which I'm sure are just people who are... Um, skilled in um, like rehab type exercises. Um, but the on-site clinics, uh, this, this actually saves um, money for the employee and the employer because they can go there with a cold, they can go there with, um, you know, just little aches and pains that bother them. 90% of the stuff that you, kind of like a little urgent care band-aid clinic type of a thing. Now, I don't know what the rules are because all these on-site medical clinics have different rules. But I do know um, that in general, it's a huge savings to the company that puts them on because people, if they need uh, to go to the doctor because of X, Y, or Z, or they just aren't feeling well, instead of taking half of a day off or a full day off to go to a doctor's appointment, they can just go into this clinic be seen and then if it's an emergent thing they're transported to the hospital by ambulance typically or by family member and then um but 90 percent of what people go to the doctor for if you're a healthy person is just kind of minor ish stuff it's nothing that that's that big of a deal so it's a really good thing for the employees it's a benefit for them it's a benefit for the company so all around it's awesome okay so now at 41 minutes and 24 seconds into this podcast, we're going to get to the questions. And um, I'm just going to say, I do not understand why the audio quality... Now, me, a person with a limited budget, my audio quality sucked for the longest time, and it's still not great. It's better than it's ever been, but it's still not great. I do not understand how a company that made $311 million in profit uh, has audio quality like they do. Um, it's terrible. Sometimes I can barely understand Elon in this, especially it's especially difficult if somebody is sitting a little bit further away from the mic and may have an accent that's a little bit more difficult to understand them. So we'll do our best to go through this. Um, I really do think that Tesla should upgrade something in there in their conference room because uh, it's not great. But what do I know? All right, let's start off here with the questions. With that, we can move to questions. Cool. Well, thank you very much. And Cherie, let's uh, go to the first question, please. Thank you. Our first question comes from Dan Galvez with Wolf Research. 
Hey, um, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, congratulations on the quarter. It's, uh, it's really amazing to see this landmark quarter um, after covering the company for so long. Um, and thanks for uh, bringing some of your team onto the call. It's very interesting. Uh, my question is about um, uh, cell supply. There's been some, some noise about tight cell supply and, and sparks and tight labor supply. Like in the short term, could you just talk about whether demand is outpacing supply of, of battery cells and, and kind of what's your plan for um, long-term expansion, uh, including cell supply in China? Uh, JB, you want to? Sure, I, I can speak to that. This is JB. Um, we, we have had a period where the supply was, was fairly tight for Model 3, but it, it did not really constrain the Model 3 production in, in well, any significant like for way. for a week. Yeah, yeah, maybe for a few days. Yeah. Um, yeah, the impact was was larger felt on the energy uh, products. Yeah, um, and you know that that still is somewhat tight. But we do, as we pointed out in previous you know discussions, we do have third party supplies of energy cells, so that production you know can continue, um, even even independently of, of the Panasonic supply in Sparks. Um, so that's been very helpful, um, and that is expanding in in future quarters. Um, and also the Panasonic supply is expanding. You know, the, the productivity of existing lines is continuing to improve with a lot of hard work from the engineering teams and, and just operational stability. And we continue to bring online new production lines. So even just in the last uh, several weeks, we've started up, uh, you know, yet another produ cell production line with Panasonic. And um, through the end of the year, there's another, uh, another line coming on and then one shortly after that. So there's a steady increase in the total supply. Um, that should keep us ahead of you know, even Model 3 growth and also should let us um, you know, have a larger percentage of energy supply be sourced from Giga locally. Yeah, we are making a pretty nutty amount of the world's uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, and Martin, like, I think we're, what, a 60% or something? Yeah, so at, at the moment, if you look at, uh, for example, for Q3, all electric vehicles made around the world, uh, their total battery capacity was about... Uh, 20 or 19 gigawatt hours, and we pr what we produced in Q3 was about the same or a little bit higher. Okay. So um, about half of world's batteries, basically. Well, and, and is that uh, because we also source cells from Japan and, and, and elsewhere? Is that you talking just giga or? or? Uh, so so uh, it, yeah, so just the giga itself is about 20, and on, on top of that, SNX is um, I don't know another four or five. Yeah. Got it. No, it's a huge advantage. Um, is there uh, is there plans um, that you can talk about for cell supply in China? Um, will that be produced in China? Um, I'm assuming so. Long term, it would be produced in China. Uh, short term, we're we're not certain of the short term situation, but long term uh, certainly. Got it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. I think this is only interesting in that it really goes behind the scenes as to what is important uh, in terms of what's keeping these cars from being built. And uh, I don't know. There's some other the the interesting thing is they produce about half of all of the uh, the the battery power out there, or half of the batteries. I can't remember exactly how they put it. Um. But there's a lot of questions like this, and again, trying to add extra context to that is is difficult. But uh, we'll keep going through this right now. 
Thank you. Our next question comes from Pierre Faragu with New Street Research. Hey, thank you for taking my question. Um, I, I was very surprised in the numbers you reported today by uh, the, your gross margin performance on the Model 3. So if I remember correctly, you were expecting more of a 15% type of margin for this quarter, and you actually did uh, better than 20%. So can, can you take us through uh, what improved like faster and better than you had initially anticipated in, uh, in the manufacturing line and where these improvements uh, came from? Um, Deepak here and um, Jerome and others, please uh, feel free to join. Um, our improvements um, uh, on the cost side were in every aspect of cost. So uh, clearly uh, our manufacturing uh, labor hours um, improved significantly. Uh, our overall manufacturing costs uh, dropped almost 30% uh, sequentially, Q2 to Q3. Uh, we produced more volume, so we had better fixed cost um, absorption. Um, we had far less scrap. Our yield on each of the lines across both factories improved significantly. Um, and as we look forward, we see even more opportunities. We are going through this phase where uh, we are now stabilizing production, and the team can now intensely focus, focus on cost optimization. And that trend will just continue in Q4. Yeah, I think we're also being relatively like, on the conservative side when we predicted. When we said like 15, so we're being right. We, we, our expectation was we would do better, but we yeah. wanted to be conservative. You're right. Yeah. And in terms of our guidance that we gave for, for Q3. Yeah. Okay, thanks. That's great. And and then on um, as a quick follow-up, you've uh, you, you've announced uh, over the weekend like a mid-range uh, uh, car with um, with, with a smaller uh, smaller battery pack. And I was wondering, as you, you're looking at expanding production of the Model 3, uh, I think about it as you had two op uh, options. One was to go abroad and to keep producing a higher-end, higher higher ASP cars, and the other one uh, was to go for a, a lower-cost uh, car and, and stick to the U.S. So how did you decide the sequencing of these two things? Why is lower car now and going abroad only uh, early next year? Well, we're, we're trying to provide the most affordable um, electric car options that we can. Um, and since we, we, can't, we, we just don't have the ability to, to get to the $35,000 car right away, we thought this might be a way to offer it as an intermediate step. Um, and um, that, that's, really, that's really it. Um, you know, we expect to start um, producing a significant volume for Europe in January. Um, and, and obviously, it takes some time to, to ship, so uh, deliveries, you know, probably pretty, pretty significant deliveries in Europe, um, kind of in the late February, March timeframe, because uh, cars have to get all the way from California to a customer in Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, the car, car only counts as delivered if it uh, reaches the end customer uh, and all the paperwork is completed correctly. So it, it's the highest possible standard for. Uh, for, for considering a sale, a sale, um, yeah. And also to APAC, um, inside delivering cars. Um, yeah, the, we, we may or may not deliver cars in APAC in, in Q1, um, but certainly in Q2. It, it'll, it'll be kind of borderline uh, as to whether a car is delivered in APAC by the end of Q1. 
uh, so I can't say that for certain. They're definitely in Europe, um, but uh, and they're definitely in APAC and in Q2. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next. Okay, so if you guys know what an APAC is, I don't quite understand what that is, but. Um, We've talked about that in the past, that the $35,000 model was not going to get, um, was not going to get, uh, was not going to be sold or, or not necessarily sold, I guess, available until February, March, maybe April. So we kind of already knew that, um, at least listeners to this show knew that. And then the other thing, uh, we talked last quarterly results or maybe the one before, as they iron out the, the production process, of course, cost is going to go down, and it's going to go down significantly. And this is something that they talked about, not only, um, I think, in the last earnings call, but it, they talked about it in the um, press release with the information. It went down by 30%. It says it right there in black and white. Seems like a waste question, wasted question, but whatever. If you read it, the answer is there. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to uh, move along here. question comes from Romit Shah with Nomura Instant. Yes, thank you. Um, I guess just along those lines, you know, you, you, uh, you indicated that uh, you're going to bring Model 3 to Europe uh, early next year. Um, where would you like to see um, production uh, in order to support that ramp overseas? Well, initially production will, will occur. I mean, these last next several months, uh, oil production is vehicle production will take place at our car plant in California. Sorry, uh, I, me I meant to ask uh, where do you, where would you like to see the production rate uh, on a weekly basis go to, in order to support that ramp? Um, yeah, it's hard to predict with with accuracy. Um, the and there's also, you know, like the, the, all the tariff wars and everything. So, you know, long, long term, like you say, like, without talking about like next quarter, so like what is uh, global, likely global demand for Model 3, it's on probably on the order of anywhere from 500,000 to a million cars a year, let's say, quick global demand for Model 3. Um, if you look at something like, say, the 3 Series, um, one that's around half a million. Half a million but the BMW yeah. 3 Series is about half a million each, uh, a year mm -hmm. uh, globally, um, and, and generally we, we find that uh, we we outcompete the the BMW 3 Series um, quite well. So uh, we it seems like logical, therefore, that we would long term have a higher uh, production, or higher demand. You know, maybe it's somewhere in between the kind of the, the BMW 3 Series and the Volkswagen Golf, which is about a million units a year. So, yeah, that's why I say anywhere from 500,000 to a million units a year long term. And do you have to so add new lines to, to support that, or are you just going to continue to remove bottlenecks in the existing lines? No, we, we, we're definitely going to do uh, local production in China. We're moving rapidly on that. Um, so we're, we're aiming to, to have Model 3 production for the for the China market or the greater China market, uh, uh, active certainly next year, it's, it, will ha it will be happening next year, um, but it will be done in, with a, uh, a very in a very capital efficient manner, um, much more akin to uh, the way we did 
uh, General Assembly Line 4 versus General Assembly Line 3. Um, and then we will also have a factory in, China, in, in Europe long term because it's pretty silly to make cars in California and ship them all the way to Europe as far. Especially in high volumes. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's a, I'm not talking about the SNX, I'm just talking about the three. So SNX will continue to be made in, in California, um, I think probably, probably exclusively uh, here. Um, but for, for cars where we're trying to maximize affordability, it, it makes um, a lot of sense to produce those cars, at least on the continent, where they are, where they are consumed or bought. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from George Galliers with Evercore. So I don't necessarily think that they answered that guy's questions, but it does make absolute sense to um, build cars on the continent that they're going to be in. But the, the Chinese Gigafactory, the Gigafactory in China, it is not going to be building Model S or Model Xs. It's only going to be building Model Ys and Model 3s. By the way, they just approved the Model Y prototype building the Model Y prototype, and then uh, so we should see something maybe announced next year. And then the production in 2020, fingers crossed, that'd be awesome. Anyway, um, but we know that they're not building Model S's and Model X's in China. Um, there may be assembly somewhere in China, but they're not building them there. And then we talked about last week, uh, not last week, a few weeks ago, uh, that Tesla has a factory in Europe and they just bought a bunch of land, or an, another building, excuse me, with a bunch of land around it uh, for no apparent reason at all. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, right. Moving forward here. Thank you. Um, maybe just following up on the previous question, is the target still to produce 10,000 Model 3s a week in Fremont? And I think you mentioned in the past that once you got to a run rate of around 5,000, you'd be better placed to assess what CapEx is required to get there. So as of today, do you have a better idea of what CapEx is required to get to that kind of level at Fremont? Um, I think we're not prepared to speak to that right now. Um, except that it will be considerably less than money that we've spent to get to 5,000 in the first place. Um, like quite, I think quite dramatically less. Um, I said I'd probably see a path to like 7,000 units a week for Model 3 with really minimal CapEx. Um, very minimal. Yeah, yeah Jerome, yeah, with yeah. Very minimal to get to 7,000 uh, a week. Um, and then, um, I mean, that's really just basically Solving, uh, improving the uptime of the existing lines, and we can do 7,000 a week. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. So, um, and, and then it, it gets a little harder as you start to go above 7,000. Um, uh, we, would, we would need to at least bring lines down in Fremont for significant upgrades to get to 10K, but also just not, we're not talking about massive amounts of CapEx. Um, but you know, if it's say like long term, it's again, you know, long term. It's, it's if predicting things on a quarter by quarter basis is very difficult because um, when you have an exponential growth rate like we do, I mean, if you if you look at Tesla cumulative deliveries over time, it's like the cleanest exponential curve fit that I've ever seen. So, but but small movements in calendar time can can look like 
a very large uh, hit or miss uh, one way or the other because it's such a steep curve. Um, that's why I'm, it's, it's always tricky to predict things on a quarterly basis, um, but a lot easier if you go out, you know, a year or so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, probably long term, it's at least sort of seven to ten thousand cars from pre-months of Model Three, um, and then I don't know, five thousand to eight thousand in the rest of the world, something like that. This is a guess. Okay, thank you. And then just as a follow-up, in the letter you you do point out that the size of the European market for premium mid-size sedans is, is roughly twice that of the U.S. Could you also maybe just comment to um, what your expectations are for mix in Europe? Based off Model S and Model X, do you expect richer mix in Europe versus the U.S., or is it fairly similar? Uh, we're given that zero thought. I mean, this is like, this is not, I have no idea, where, I, I don't know, Martin, do you have any idea? No, I, like, all I'm aware of is that, um, you know, because of cold weather, probably all-wheel drive and long uh, battery range will be highly demanded in Europe. Um, but apart from that, I mean, we, we ultimately have to start selling the car to see what the demand is, so. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's likely to be comparable to, to I mean, if, if, if pre mid-sized sedans market is like twice as big in Europe, then well, it's likely to be at least as much demand in Europe as there are, is in North America. Like that's a pretty safe bet. Um, but our, our, our goal really is to make electric cars that everyone can afford, not not to to sort of mine high, you know high option value cars. It's like if we could, if we could produce a thirty-five thousand dollar car today, uh, we would do it. You know, we need more work. We need more. Work. There's more work to do before we can make a $35,000 car um, and have it be positive gross margin. Uh, not, you know, we're probably less than six months from that, but um, that, that's our mission. Great. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like. Um. What to say about this? At the end, I kind of agree with with Elon, and I, I think that he's being earnest here. I don't think he cares about. Uh, I think their mission is to produce a, a, a low cost car that everybody can afford. Thirty five thousand dollars isn't that uh, isn't that car, but they have mentioned in the past that they might be building or thinking about building or figuring out a way to build a twenty five thousand dollar car. Um, but beyond that. You know, I just think uh, the question, by and large, was not received well by the panel. Um, they did speak to it a little bit, but um, in general, they didn't. There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm there. So let's let's go on, continue on. Ask a question at this time. Please press star then one. Our next question comes from Maynard Um with Macquarie. Hi, thank you. Congratulations on a great turning point for Tesla. Um, as you continue to scale the business, can you talk about how we should think about how you balance profits versus reinvestments? Um, you're targeting sustainable gap profitability and cash flow, but I'm curious if there's a level of gap profitability or gap operating margin or cash flow you want to hold and then take the access to fund new growth or accelerate opportunities? Um, sure. I mean, maybe to 
if, if it characterize that question, it would be like, um, you know, are we, are we starving new vehicle development in order to achieve gap profitability and cash flow positive? Would that be an accurate? Is that essentially, like the answer is no. Um, so uh, we've um, made significant progress um, on the Model Y. Um, you know, and, uh, so in fact, I've, I, I approved the prototype to go into production uh, recently. You know, we saw it'll be 2020 before that's in volume production, but we made great progress there. Uh, we'll also continue to make progress on the semi uh, and the uh, the new Rotesa Roadster. Um, and then uh, actually the product I'm personally most excited about is the Tesla pickup truck. So I think that's going to be some next level next level stuff there. Uh, and then not to, I, and I should not forget to mention the, the solar tile roof. Um, We'll also start getting into buying production of the solar tile roof next year. Um, you know, that, that's quite a long development cycle for because anything that's a roof has got to last 30 years. So even if you do accelerate uh, accelerate life testing as fast as possible, there's still minimum amount of time required to do that. Um, and there's a lot of engineering that goes into how do you put on the solar tile roof um, with uh, and, and not be really labor intensive in doing so. So. There's a lot of engineering, not just in the tile, but in the way it's done. Um, and then we've got, you know, continued improvements in Powerwall, Powerpack, other energy products. Um, I'm really, I, mean, I think we've got the most exciting product roadmap of any company on Earth by far. I'm not even sure, like, probably twice. I, I don't even know who would have, a, which company would have a better product roadmap, or, or even close. Yeah. Maybe they do, but I don't know about them. Great. And and when you talk about Tesla having its own, you know, ride-sharing fleet or giving the people the ability to loan out their car like an Airbnb model, I'm curious if your long-term plan is to build a platform that's going to enable companies to write applications, um, to turn the car directly into an application. And then can you also maybe just talk about that business model? Is that, um, should we be thinking more about like a revenue sharing model, sort of like how Apple takes a piece of revenue generated for uh, applications from iPhones? Thanks. Uh, I don't know about turning the car into an application exactly, but I mean, maybe. Well, right, try to do the thing that maximizes uh, usefulness. Um, and so if there's a way, for, if there's a way we think of where third parties could do something, then that could make sense. Um, but I do know for sure that Tesla will operate its own uh, ride-hailing, ride-ride, you know, its own ride-hailing service. Will compete directly with Uber and Lyft, obviously. Um, and uh, you know, and, but then also have the ability for customers to uh, offer their car uh, and, and add, the, add or subtract their car to the fleet at will. So there'll be a company-owned fleet and. Uh, and the company on fleet will just be where there aren't enough customer cars to be lent out. So if we, if we find, like, in a particular metro, there aren't enough customers who are willing to add their car to the shared fleet, then that's where we'll supplement it with a Tesla on fleet. Um, so that's why it's a, sort of a combination of the Uber Lyft thing and Airbnb. And then we would charge, you know, something probably comparable to, yeah, to how they say the App Store works, or, I don't know, we'd charge 30% or something. Uh, in order for somebody to add the car to the fleet. I think that's like a pretty sensible way to go. Um, 
Great, let's go to the next question, please. Thank you, our next question. Okay, so first, and I don't want to knock on people for asking questions, but it seems ridiculous that everybody's uh, complaining, not everybody, a lot of people are complaining that Tesla is not making a profit and it's being poorly run. And then somebody asks a question is, hey, are you going to forego um, R&D so that you can make a profit, not invest in new products? Seems like seems like a silly question on the other side as far as making the car a platform i think you'd have to be really careful about that and i think tesla would be really careful about it um but he would have to be super careful about that because um people can write malicious software and sneak it in we've seen it in the apple app store and we've seen it in the google play store over and over and over again where you think you're getting a calculator app and meanwhile it's stealing all your contact information or whatever or constantly tracking you um so that's a that's a kind of a scary thing to to think about is the car being a platform for applications um however on the other side there are some would be some benefits to that um if you for instance would like apple music as your uh, in-car uh, uh, streaming service instead of whatever Tesla provides, you could do that. And that would be a nice feature. Um, I'm not sure um, beyond that, you know, th- that kind of thing would be, would be uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to get Tesla's permission to, to do that kind of a thing if you were just an owner because you can just put it on there if Apple wrote the software to do that which they probably wouldn't but spotify or or uh what's that jay-z one title um they could possibly do those kinds of things but it's a really like you gotta be really careful like it's sketchy having uh sketchy software on your phone um i would not want that on a car that can drive itself honestly um that would make me without being very well vetted um that would make me very uh, worried. And then in terms of Tesla taking 30% of every ride for its uh, uh, car network service, it seems like a lot, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, maybe it'll be a little bit less. But it does seem like an awful lot. All right. Moving on. We're, we're close to being done. 20 minutes-ish. Comes from Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, first question is on, on governance. Uh, as the company conducts its search for a new chairman, what are the attributes and experiences of that person that you think would be a best fit or best value for Tesla? Um, actually, on this call, we're going to uh, restrict questions to operational topics. Do you have no problem. Uh, yes, I do. Um, can you um, can you tell that was a great question, by the way. I was really looking forward to hearing the answer. Moving on. It's about the folks who are taking deliveries of Model 3. Uh, what are the top cars, car models, or brands that they're trading in or switching out of? How many are new to the brand? That kind of, anything you're prepared to share, and then I have a follow-up. Sure, absolutely. Hey, this is Martin. So, so I, I've done the analysis of all the trade-ins that we, we've received, and, and really the, the only pattern that, that, that I've seen is that uh, – it's sort of all across the board, and the vast majority is non-premium brands. Um, I think that is the number one message. It's just that 
more than half of the tradings we received were priced at below 35,000 when new. But other than that, that's, there's no real pattern. I, I, you know, I haven't noticed anything worth highlighting other than it's just a lot of people upgrading their cars quite, quite dramatically. Which is a huge upgrade. Uh, yeah. From well, for most people, well, for most, but for, for many people, it is the most expensive car they've ever bought. Um, so they, mm. they, they're clearly demonstrating with their money that they, um, they're willing to spend extra money to get a Tesla. So, you know, like Tesla's it's like mass market premium. Yeah, the price walk is way beyond the federal tax credit. So clearly, there's yeah. value mm -hmm. the product that they are perceiving, whether it's cost of ownership, whether it's sustainability, whether it's the brand or the safe, safety yes, like and the safety. All of the above is making a large number of customers jump up significantly in their purchase price. Yeah, I mean, really, like the, honestly, like the, the top reason to refer a friend to buy Tesla is it's going to keep your friend safe. Mm-hmm. That's a good reason. If I can just squeeze in, since I couldn't ask the first one that you could answer, um, do you think that the th third quarter is a milestone, Elon, where where you think Tesla becomes sustainably self-funding and uh, perhaps not in need of, of outside capital? Thanks. Yeah, that that's uh, that is uh, our goal. Um, we do not intend to uh, raise uh, equity or debt. Uh, at least that is not our intention right now. Um, you know that may change in the future, but the current operating plan uh, is to pay off our debts, uh, to, and not to refinance them, but to pay them off um, and reduce the the debt load and an overall leverage of the company. Um, oh, and, and I actually almost forgot one quite important thing um, as and this is quite helpful why it's helpful to have these sort of crisis situations uh, with, with logistics for example as I dug into the um, inventory like basically finished product inventory uh, from factory to the customer I was quite surprised to see how long that that took um, and that it was quite expensive in a lot of cases to, to get cars to customers um, this was uh, something I didn't fully appreciate uh, before, um, and uh, it, it, we really have a major initiative at Tesla to get the average time from a car exiting the factory to uh, receiving the check from the customer, uh, being in the customer's hands. Um, to be clear, we only get the check when we get the car to the customer. Um, so getting a car from, from factory to customer to get that to be as short as possible. Um, you know, in August, the average time in North America to get a car from the factory to a customer was 30 days, which is embarrassingly long. Um, by the end of the quarter, we had reduced it to around 20 days, um, and our goal in, in uh, Q4, this is a goal, another promise, but our goal is to get the average time of a car from factory to customer under 10 days. This is a giant improvement in the capital efficiency of the company. Um, because we're, we're making on the order of $75 million worth of products per day, of, of cars per day. So every day, uh, every day it requires $75 million worth of capital. So every 10 days is $750 million. Um, and we, we can't, we, we obviously we have um, a, uh, a loan from the bank that we, that we can make use of, 
but the bank will, banks will only loan us 85% of the cost of the vehicle, which translates to about 70% of the price of the vehicle. So, um, and then we've got this loan outstanding, which effectively increases the, the, the cogs of the car, um, and uh, and then dilutes the company to the tune of 30% of what of the um, inventory of, of the um, finished goods in, in transit is. So that this is this is really like tightening that and getting that below 10 days in North America, and then um, also improving dramatically the time of the transit time to Europe and, and, and Asia. Um, this is where like having local factories is actually very important for the capital efficiency of the overall system. Because um, I think over time we want to get the, the time from, from a car going from factory to customer under seven days um, worldwide. Um, and then the, um, the terms that we have with, from our suppliers are uh, on average just over 60 days. Um, now, our, 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 our pods inventory management also is, there's a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, I think we'll probably cut that down to, you know, a few hundred million dollars or so, or so uh, of, you know, a few bucks, maybe something like that, maybe yeah. two or three hundred million dollars of pods at the factory. Um, so then, effectively, um, what, what we're going to do is re reverse the, the working capital requirements of the company quite dramatically to the point where the faster we grow, the more capital we have. This is incredibly important uh, for capital efficiency of the company. It's night and day. Deepak, is there anything you'd like to... No, I think you are totally... Um, you know, we're reducing our raw material inventory on one hand uh, by keeping the production stable, finding efficiencies in warehouse management and supply chain. Uh, and at the same time, reducing the time to deliver the car and uh, convert that car into a, a, a cash. Uh, and that significantly improves working capital needs. Yeah, it's really quite dramatic. So, yeah, I think this sort of profoundly changes the financial uh, effectiveness of Tesla. Yeah. yeah, we reduced our inventory in uh, Q3, uh, uh, which helped. And, uh, uh, although we had higher payables uh, because, uh, sorry, higher receivables because the quarter ended on a weekend, we won't have that in Q4. So uh, all of this should continue to help us in Q4 and beyond the working capital gain. Yeah, I mean, it, it occurred to me that even if the only thing, like even if uh, this was the only thing that tells us a different was to um, shorten the time from factory to uh, to the end customer. Um, in any given company that did that would outcompete all other companies over time. It would, be, it would not be it would not be a contest. Great, thank you very much. Let's go to the next question, please. Okay, so this is an example that, and hopefully now that we're nearly done with this whole thing, where you guys can see where a lot of these questions were already asked, a lot of the information had already been given. Um, and we don't get a whole lot more. Maybe we get a couple of nuggets here and there on the question. But this is an example where we get lots of information based off of a question that had already been answered, which is seems silly. But they really, like Elon, really delivered on this one. Uh, first, uh, 30 days um, and improving at that by 10 days, which gives you an extra $750 million. And improving that by 20 days and getting the delivery time down to 10 
you get an uh, you get one and a half billion dollars more just by cutting that delivery time down from the time the car is built to the time it's delivered 10 days that is amazing um and it shows it goes to show that tesla still even though they've done a lot in the last uh year or so to improve the their, their efficiency there's still a lot more to go so they made 311 million dollars this quarter based off of uh, improvements they made in efficiency and getting rid of um, like deadweight contractors and things like that. So there's all of the changes that they made are bearing fruit now. And moving forward, um, as they as they continue through this, um, if they're able to deliver, move that delivery time up uh, or reduce it to 10 days, I guess, um, they're, the amount that they can make significantly increases and as this becomes more and more efficient they can now stop borrowing money from the bank lines of credit and they're not paying that interest and moving down forward and you know further and further and further that that interest now goes back into their account instead of the bank's account which gives tesla a uh, a nice boost in revenue so going forward it's nice to see that this is the the path that they're choosing but it's more nice or it's better or more pleasant huh it's encouraging to see what tesla's doing now is then we talked about this like a long time ago when when elon started talking about building um building the machine that builds the machine like at some point this is going to pay off and i think we're starting to see the beginning of them building the machine that builds the machine and it's starting to pay off now they started with too much hubris and too much uh, focus on the actual machine and they left out the human component which is still very important but because they're able to go through now and they've made those changes and made those adjustments and um, maybe not completely uh, cleaned up that those processes that they have but they're they're getting to that point to where um, this is going to start becoming uh, the the whole production line is going to start becoming more and more efficient and then their deliveries hopefully will become more and more efficient and that will significantly increase revenues this is awesome there was a lot of really good information in there um and uh again like some of the other questions you got little nuggets of of really good information but it didn't go anywhere here i think it's a nice summary of a lot of things that they were saying um, in further in, in previous questions, and then it, you get so much more. So that made me very excited uh, to hear all that. All right, let's keep going here. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tony Sakanaji with Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, I have uh, one for Deepak and then a follow-up, please. Um, Deepak, the OPEX, uh, expense management was very strong in the quarter. I think it was down 13% sequentially, and OPEX was only up 5% year over year, despite revenue growing 71%. Um, so on that front, I mean, in hindsight, did you get too bloated um, and uh, needed to get more right-sized? And looking forward, how do we think about OPEX growth versus revenue growth on kind of a more normalized basis? Yeah, uh, Tony, so excluding one-time items, our OPEX uh, decreased sequentially by 5%, to, to just clarify that, first of all. And a lot of that 
uh, was driven by the actions we took in Q2 to be more efficient with our employee headcount. Uh, we benefited from that um, in Q3. And we were really uh, careful in terms of all of our spending. Um, the other piece that helped us is um, uh, a lot of our Model 3 spending on expensed um, sort of R&D is reducing because Model 3 is going into production. So Q2 to Q3, we saw a reduction there. And uh, it just gives you the sense of the leverage um, our operating expenses can have while our revenue is going dramatically. So our OPEX will increase in the future, but at a far slower rate, and we will continue to be really, really careful about the spending, and I think there are actually more efficiencies that we can find. We are going to find them, right. absolutely. So we'll continue down this path, definitely. Okay, and then to, thank you for that, and then to follow up, uh, I, I was just wondering if you could help us a little bit on the, on the back to the gross margin on Model 3 and, and the $35,000 car. So, you know, this quarter, um, you know, I impute that Model 3 ASPs were maybe 59000 um, and that might suggest that gross margins on a $35,000 Model 3 might be about zero. And, Elon, I think you alluded to the fact that, you know, the goal is really to get positive gross margins on a $35,000 car before shipping. Um, are, are those all fair assessments? And, and I guess the question is, where is where would a Model 3, uh, $35,000 Model 3 be in terms of gross margins today, and where does it need to be before you want to offer it broadly um, uh, to consumers? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's uh, the challenge with uh, asking questions of that nature in detail is that it is a rapidly changing situation. So, like, literally, if you would ask this in a month, it would be different. In another month, it would be different. Um, the, uh, there's no question we need to get to a point where uh, we can sell a $35,000 car and, and where the, the uh, full accounted for cogs of the car um, is, let's say, on the order of $30,000 or slightly less than $30,000. Um, like I think we, we'd want to ideally get the cogs of the car, of, of that configuration of the car, under $30,000. Um, that would be, the, that, that's our goal. That's what we're pushing very hard to achieve. Exactly, and if it's a matter of time, it's a, there's a significant material cost reduction that comes. You have a smaller battery pack, so you have a fewer amount of cells. Yeah. It's not the same uh, cells that we have in the existing cars. Well, and it's the same cell, but it's not the same. The same amount of cells, so the cell cost. Fewer, fewer cells, and, a, right. and, and then the non-cell portion of the pack is also cost reduced. Exactly. With, with, the, with the current mid-range pack, it still has the, basically about the same non-cell portion of the pack cost. And we are achieving massive reduction in all our manufacturing costs per car, which will continue. And as volume grows, that also helps with fixed cost absorption. So it's the same factors that, that have helped us so far will continue to help us going forward to get us there. Anything you want to add, JV? No? Yeah. Great. Let's go to the next question. Okay. So this is another example. And I think... Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he asks questions almost every earnings call, and he's, he usually asks really good questions. The question he answer, asked is already covered earlier in the thing, which is m maddening to me. Um, but one of the, the things that uh, that I heard, and maybe I heard it wrong, and I, and I listened to it several times, um, is that 
at some point the Model 3 could potentially go to 30000 or maybe a little below $30,000, uh, maybe with a smaller battery pack or whatever. But uh, as efficiency grows, as they reduce costs, they can still keep those margins going um, and, and lower the cost of the car, which is super exciting. That's the biggest thing for me. Um, and of course, they've already answered several times on how they're going to continue to cut costs to improve margins. Um, so we won't go into that again. But let's continue on, shall we? Thanks, Hugh. And next question comes from James Albertine with Consumer Edge. Great. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for taking the question. Congratulations. Great. Um, wanted just a point of clarification. Um, you know, Elon, you mentioned in August, you know, the time to uh, get the car from a factory to a customer was 30 days down to 20 at the end of the quarter, and your goal is under 10 by the end of 4Q. Where do we see that? flow through from a COGS perspective? Is that an automotive gross margin or is that in services and other at this point? It's all in automotive gross margin or logistics costs outbound. Outbound logistics. It's all in automotive. Yeah, I think we see a reduction in inbound logistics as well as outbound logistics. Um, Maybe the question is like for for the debt that is carried for that period of time, is is that factored into COGS or is that not? The, the interest expense yeah. of the debt, that's in the interest expense line. Okay. That is not in cost. Okay, yeah, that's why I, I do think like the, the definition of COG should probably be broadened to include anything that's directly driven by volume, essentially, uh, that, that affects the marginal cost of, of the, the vehicle. So although that is not in officially in COGS, in my opinion, it probably should be, uh, is to, to, ta- to take the, um, the ABL uh, interest expense and uh, apply that effectively to... Um, the, the cost of the car. And from a broader sense, you're looking at it as the cost of doing business, which can be avoided. Yeah. Um, just essentially cash availability increases quite dramatically. Um, dilution or leverage uh, outside of the ABL line uh, improves dramatically. Um, and then the de facto cost, of, the effective cost of the car also reduces because you do not have the interest expense. If you have the interest expense over 20 days versus 10 days, this is a big difference. Yep. Understood, and I appreciate that clarification. You know, sort of was trying to get at, you've been running a negative gross margin in services and other for several quarters now, and um, wanted to get a sense for, you know, when that could maybe trough and start to turn a corner and to generate some profit for you. I understand there's a lot of building out going on for sales, service, and and charging infrastructure. Um, But if you could give us some kind of clarification there, that would be, I think, helpful. And if you're willing maybe to provide an update on where you stand today in terms of battery costs. Um, I know your goal of a sort of parity with ICE uh, vehicles, but maybe an update if you're willing to provide on, on where you stand in that trajectory. Thanks. I, I think um, uh, uh, over time, um, every quarter progressively, uh, we will see an improvement in the uh, service and other business as our uh, revenue continues to grow, and uh, at the size of our fleet grows, as simple as that. Yeah, um, I would, long term, I would expect uh, service uh, to be a significant uh, revenue item, um, and and, a, and to be a positive margin contributor, um, and it's going to be a function of our fleet size and age. Yeah, and it's exactly. We're under warranty. Yeah, we're under exactly. We're under warranty. There's yeah. like a lot of stuff that's under warranty. But as the as the warranty expires, or there's like non-warranty items, then we would expect service to be positive gross margin. And that also includes our used car sales. 
Yeah, um, and our used car sales is continuing to grow, and they have a healthy margin. And so that that overall business uh, for mature companies is, in some cases, more profitable uh, than new product sales. I'm not just talking about OEMs, yeah. auto OEMs. And we are at the early stage of our growth here, and as our fleet size grows, there are just so many opportunities in that business that um, it's a matter of time, as I said, simply said. Yeah. Yeah, and on the battery cost, that was a question. Well, um, th that is a, a key sort of a competitive metric. So I think it's safe to say we're much better than anyone else by a lot, um, but we prefer not to uh, give a precise number. Okay, and now let's go to the last question, please. Thank you. Our final. Okay, um, I really don't have anything to say much about that, but I didn't want you to forget, or think I forgot that everybody was here. Um, moving on. Question comes from Phil LeBeau with CNBC TV. Thank you, guys. Uh, Elon, quick question. In terms of as the federal tax uh, credit starts to be phased out as uh, your sales uh, cross over the threshold, what kind of an impact have you guys modeled into how much that might slow down potential sales? We don't expect this to result in uh, – I mean, yes, the, the the sales tax or the the, the tax incentive in the in the U.S. Uh, drops in half at the end of this quarter, but then we also start shipping to Europe, and then start shipping to Asia, um, and we certainly do not expect anything that would cause our production to drop below, let's say, a minimum of five thousand cars a week. But in terms of in the United States, uh, do you expect that it'll slow down? Uh, demand and sales within the U.S. Um, I, I think that as we're able to offer lower-cost versions of okay. the car, uh, that we would expect demand to sustain in the U.S. Um, but I want to be clear: like it's not like we're holding back this lower-cost version of the car intentionally. Uh, just like with like the, the, we're just like, is there anything we can do to provide a lower-cost car now? And that's where we came up with the. Uh, depopulated long-range pack, just like basically taking having having a long-range pack with fewer cells. Uh, like we really care about providing the end customer with the most affordable car that we would possibly produce, the best viability. Um, and uh, if we could do the smaller pack now, we absolutely would. Um, it's just going to take us, I don't know, at least three months to get the production going, and then you go to spool up production, and that production's going to go to, you know, we're going to make the packs, the packs are to go to the vehicle factory, the cars are about to get delivered to customers, so that's why, you know, customers probably see the small battery pack in, on the order of, like, you know, March or something, or February, maybe, but something on that order. Um, okay. And Thank um, you. You know, one thing, uh, is, is these, do, these do trigger kind of, like, maybe points that are worth bearing in mind. Um, um, as a uh, as our quarterly letter indicates, uh, the Model 3 has the um, is, is the most efficient uh, energy per mile uh, electric vehicle out there. Uh, it's, got, it's got the best efficiency. Um, so we've got the um, best best in terms of miles or kilometers per per kilowatt hour, and we also have the lowest cost per kilowatt hour. This makes it very difficult for other companies to compete with Tesla because we are the most efficient car and the lowest cost batteries. 
So I, I do encourage our competitors to, to, to really make a huge investment. Uh, we've been saying that for a long time. Uh, and, and then they're, they're only in this competitive disadvantage because they didn't, you know, we try to help them as much as we could and they didn't, they didn't want to take our help. But, we've, you know, we've, so they can use all our patents for free. We're happy they, they can use our supercharger network if, if they can just have an adapter for our connector or something. We want to be as helpful as possible um, to the rest of the industry. Um, but um, the fact of the matter is we made the investment in the Gigafactory and other companies didn't. Um, and we put a lot of effort into having extremely efficient uh, cars, uh, which the other, you know, having most efficient powertrains, and, and the other companies didn't. But you know, I'm sure they will over time, but that's what has put us in quite a strong competitive advantage, uh, competitive position right now. Fantastic. I think that's uh, uh, all we have time for today. I just want to add uh, a sorry, go comment uh, in closing. And Elon uh, started with it, and I want to say that for my myself personally here. Uh, I want to personally thank all the... Okay, so we'll skip all the personally thanking people. Um, the federal tax credit in the United States ending, um, is that going to cause uh, Tesla to sell less cars? Of course not. Uh, people are going to still buy the car no matter what. And the reason why is if you want an electric, if you want a Model 3, you're going to buy a Model 3. If you want an electric car, your choices are kind of few and far between. Uh, it's, there's not a lot of, like BMW, I've seen a couple of BMW i3s rolling around here. They're not great looking cars, to be honest with you. The Bolt um, is kind of a nice car on the inside, but it's not, it's not fantastic. Um, it's, it's a car, you know, uh, a lot of these, the Nissan Leaf, it's a car it has a terrible, the Leaf has terrible resale value. You can pick one up. That's a couple of years old for about $7,500 the U S. So, you know, there's, there's just in general, um, that's gonna, um, that's gonna just people are just going to go towards the model three. Uh, they just are. So I don't think that that's, that's a, that, that big of a deal. And at the moment, because we've been doing this so long, my brain's melting. I won't go into the second point because it's not as important anyway. Um, but that's the end of our show. I really, uh, appreciate everybody listening, especially if you made it all the way to the end, because that's a big deal. Uh, if you want to, uh, email me, it's Bodie, B O D I E at nine one eight digital. You can uh, hit me up on Twitter at 918digital, or um, if you want to become a Patreon supporter, head over to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt, and you can uh, uh, become a patron, or at least look at our posts. Look at the posts that we put up there. You don't have to become a patron if you don't want to. Just look at the post. All right, everybody, that is it. We'll see you next week when we talk about uh, more fun Tesla and EV and renewable energy stuff. Can't wait. Oh, that's loud. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.